Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. I'm coming to you today from my car in northeastern Washington in the town of Mazama, Washington. I'm recording from my car because it's where I could have a little bit of privacy and quiet from my family. It is hot. It is in the mid 80s and I don't have air conditioning on because that would be really noisy for all of you to listen to. So that's where I'm coming from. A little bit of a departure from where I did most of my recordings this summer, which was my family's little teeny tiny sailboat, just moored near our home in Seattle. So now I've moved locations and I've become creative once again with where I am recording my podcasts. And I'm going to talk today about a topic that is, I'm sure, on many of your minds right now, as many of us or most of us have ventured in once again to remote learning. The topic today is remote learning reality check. So here we are again, juggling school and for many of us work, managing the emotional needs of our children, our spouses, or partners, of course, ourselves. And I'm sure many of us are approaching this with the trepidation that is warranted. For all of us, I'm sure last spring was really hard. Yes, many of us found the silver linings, but most of us held on for dear life and just limped along as we made our way through summer and then made our way through summer, and here we are. But for me, and I think for many of you, summer was a little bit of a break from the challenges of trying to be our children's assistant teachers to try and wade our way through what our teachers were providing for our kids via Zoom, via emails, via Google Classrooms, or whatever platforms you were using with your children's schools. And now that we're back there again, like many of you, I'm sure, approaching remote learning was something I was not really jazzed about. Part of it was remembering just how difficult it was last spring to negotiate. Part of it was kind of the sense of loss that I'm experiencing. This was my year. This was the year I've been waiting for, somewhat with bittersweet feelings, and in some ways with a feeling of, yes, I made it. I've been parenting young children for 17 years. And this was the year that my youngest started attending full-time kindergarten. This is the year that I anticipated tearfully sending off my fourth child, wiping away a few tears, and then getting to be able to focus with that increased amount of time on my work. Yes, maybe a lunch date or two with a friend, perhaps dedicating myself more to exercise and gosh, my favorite luxury grocery shopping without any children in tow and being able to dive a bit more into my work, which has always been 
part-time due to necessity and the fact that I had four children and a lot of needs that go along with those children, especially my youngest, who was only in preschool last year. But all of that, that kind of momentous moment of sending my fourth child off to full-time school, that's going to have to wait because like many of you, full-time school, at least in a location other than my home, has been postponed. So I'm okay with this to a certain degree with my oldest beginning her junior year of high school and friends of mine recently sending their oldest off to their freshman years of college. In some cases, actually sending them off to a location other than their home. Some are still having their college freshmen at home with them, but many of their kids have departed and have left home. So I'm really cognizant of how fast this is all moving. And so even though I'm exhausted I'm also fiercely sentimental and soaking up the good bits of all this togetherness and these delayed plans. Another part of my kind of lack of enthusiasm about this remote learning is also the lack of knowing when it's going to end, a lack of knowing what happens next. I'm honestly not a type A type planner, but it's really hard not to know what this is going to look like this year with all this uncertainty, with all of this, okay, plan A, we're doing full-time remote learning. If our numbers where we live in Seattle get to a certain threshold, our, my youngest kids can go back to school, but my older kids need to wait till we get to another level of number of COVID cases per 100,000 in our population. When's that going to be? If kids return, are the numbers going to go up and we'll be back to full-time learning again? I just don't know. And it's really, really hard to kind of continue parenting and supervising remote learning and trying to meet the needs of my clients and my work with all of this unknowing and inability to plan. And honestly, I cannot imagine what it must be like for those of you who would describe yourself as more type A controlly planning types. I feel for you because as a non-type A type person, I'm struggling. So I can only imagine what it is like for those of you who are the ultimate planners and really not being able to be at your best, which is having the ability to plan. So sorry, type A parents out there. So, okay, here we are. And for me personally, we're a little bit over a week into remote learning. And I knew it was going to be tough because I remember what it was like in the spring, but it has been a lot harder than I expected. In fact, it's been much harder than it was in the spring. I didn't realize it could get harder, but it has. And I know exactly why. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not actually anticipating this ahead of time. And it has to do with one of the D's in terms of the 3D parent and what the 3D parent stands for. And the D that I'm referring to is deep connection. Kids, especially young kids, and especially our kids who are highly sensitive, they have an intense need to connect. The D I'm referring to is deep connection. They need to connect, to bond, and to form relationships with their teachers in order to feel connected, in order to feel safe, in order to just learn. They need to build that trust to be in a state of rest. And this is something that takes a little time during normal times. When kids are meeting their teachers for the first time, it typically in the best of circumstances at around six weeks, kids can get into a state of attachment and connection with their teachers, those really good teachers who get this. They can be in a state of connection with their teachers, sometimes at around six weeks. With our real sensitive kids, our so-called orchids, it takes a little longer. But here we are in remote learning. In these brand new teachers to our children in almost every case, they're strangers. And guess what? That connection, that bond 
takes a lot longer in these circumstances, much more than six weeks, particularly because most of us, our kids are not interacting with these teachers during the length of a school day. And that's for good reason. Spending six to eight hours in front of a screen for a very young child is not sustainable, nor is it in the best interest of our children's learning needs. But then how are they to build these connections with their teachers that they can't actually be in the same space as? It is so hard, if not impossible. And for me and my family, my second grade child, Maisie, she's my family's canary in a coal mine. And I'm going to get very emotional and very raw and real with all of you because it is very, very painful right now to watch my second grade, highly sensitive canary experience remote learning and a whole new level of grief and pain that is coming with it. This canary in my family, she's going to wilt and react long before the more easygoing kids will. I gave myself, I gave my child about two weeks. I said, you know, we're going to limp through these first two weeks. I know it's going to be hard, but I think two weeks will be a good way to kind of assess how this is going to work for her. My highly, highly sensitive, newly turned eight-year-old orchid child. You know what? It was two days before it was evident that this was not going to work for her. Two days where my child was in complete shutdown. There was no joy. There was no happiness. Two days where we endured extreme amounts of counterwill, meltdowns, refusal to interact with her teacher and her class via these Zoom meetings. Evenings were filled with long rages, with so much frustration. I saw aggression from her that I have not seen in years. And it literally took me to be literally hit in the back of the head with a shoe that she flung during one of her explosions to have the wake-up call, the reality check that I needed. But of course, this is not going to work for her. Our children are not set up to learn from strangers with whom they have no connection or bond. In this year of remote learning, starting off with our children learning from these strangers is virtually impossible. Last spring, what our children's had that they don't have now, they had a connection. They had a relationship with their teachers going into home quarantine. They had a love and a connection that had built over the course of two-thirds of the school year. And even more so, our teachers held our children's hearts. So we had to deal with our children's grief and sadness at missing their teachers, at missing their peers, which was different than what we're experiencing now. Our children desperately missed their teachers, but they at least still had that desire to listen to follow, to obey, and to learn from these teachers because of that deep connection, that deep connection with these teachers that made it possible, not ideal, but possible for our children to still, in most cases, do some learning, to do some connection with their teachers, some ability to maybe kind of squeak out a little bit of what we call traditional learning in the academic sense. And it was because of the connection that was already in place when our kids went home. So with this new school year, our kids and teachers are having to start from scratch. Now, if you're in a very small school, like my kids are, in some cases, there's some familiarity with the teachers in whom in the classes that our children have been placed. For my 
second grade daughter, that's not the case. In her this case, her teacher is actually a substitute teacher. Her primary teacher is out on maternity leave and had a baby and won't be returning to instruct the kids until January. And my daughter does have familiarity with this teacher. She's known her for many years, uh, not personally. She's not been taught by her, but she knows this teacher by name. And this teacher knows my daughter by name. And the bonus is she's a mother of my youngest child, one of her closest friends. And we've been able to maintain some connection with that family throughout the summer because of the fact that this youngest child of mine is a friend with the daughter of my eventual teacher of my second grade child. So this will eventually, I think, have the ability to progress when she becomes my child's teacher in January, regardless of what stage of remote learning we are in at that time. But right now, where we are is at a state of kind of crisis where it comes to my second grader and her learning and inability to learn in this format from this teacher. And it has zero reflection of my child's teacher. She's doing the best she can, as all teachers, I'm sure, are. And for some kids, I'm sure it's working better than others. But for my second grader, who, as I described, is highly sensitive, orchid, She, like I said, is the canary in the coal mine. It's not working for her. She's already shut down. So because of this, and for all children who are in this more vulnerable category, we're having to figure something else out. And I'm going to go into that a little bit more, a little bit later in this podcast, because the purpose of this podcast is to offer some suggestions and to some help for things that are in our control as parents who are having to navigate remote learning. So this podcast is about that. It's not all about sob stories. It's all about my, not about my personal experience and things that are not working, but it's to hopefully empower you to make some choices and to take a look at your children and to feel some solace and solidarity in knowing that there's others who are struggling perhaps like you, or perhaps there are some things you've not thought of yet that might help you if you're coming into some places where you're feeling a complete struggle as a parent who is supervising this remote learning experience for your children. So I'm trying to offer these suggestions as a bit of a reality check and hopefully with some tools that might be helpful to you. So my first tip, a little bit tongue in cheek here, set a routine and stick to it unless you're getting derailed, in which case be flexible or in some cases throw out said routine. So is that clear? Yeah, it wasn't meant to be. That was meant to be kind of a joke and a bit of a reality check. Those routines are great. And if they're working for you, great. Stick with it. Routines are what help children feel a sense of security, a sense of normalcy. But it may not be working for you, in which case you need to kind of look at each new curveball that's coming your way and bend and flex and assess your child's needs or your own underlying needs for that day or that hour or that minute and be as flexible as possible. So some pointers, I suggest starting your day early. Last spring, we slept in, we started our day later and later and later as the school year went on. And we subsequently did less and less and less schoolwork because that's where we were at that time. But we're getting up earlier this year with the intention of starting our day earlier this year. And in some days it's working, in other days it's not. But we're getting up, we're getting dressed. My 
eight-year-old canary, my eight-year-old orchid. Uh, we're getting dressed the night before. We're getting into school clothes, so-called school clothes, our learning clothes as her PJs. So she doesn't have to get dressed in the morning. That is a solution that's working for her right now. And we're going with it. My youngest child, our school, they have uniforms. And your youngest child in kindergarten is expected to dress in uniform. They're trying to get them used to some of the kindergarten new routines. And part of that is wearing a uniform. And right now she thinks this is fantastic and great. And I love the fact that we don't have to make a choice about what she's wearing in the morning. And I frankly think it would help all kids at all grades, but it's fine. Right now it's working for our eight-year-old to get dressed the night before. And for our youngest child to get up in the morning and put on her school uniform, something she's excited about still. My oldest kids, they don't need a lot of help in this area. They're getting dressed in usually clean clothes and they are moving forward with their routine without needing a lot of nudging or help. But just basically, they're pretty much on autopilot at 13 and 16 years of age. But that's kind of a little bit of a look into what's helping us in terms of the routine. And then if possible, if your child is able to, is willing to jump right into that schoolwork and knock it out as early in the day as possible, depending upon what your school's offering with the instruction that is happening live versus recorded, the earlier you can knock it out, the better. If your child is waking up and is not willing to work, email your teacher right away and move on to your plan B or make it up on the spot if you don't have a plan B, but always stay in the lead. Don't ask your child for permission or beg for their compliance or start threatening or bribing your child. You're going to have to keep swerving around those obstacles as they come up, but you need to be the one to make the decision when to press pause for the school day for that moment, perhaps even the day, but do so with confidence and if possible, without communicating a sense of exasperation to your child. Okay, set two, ask for help. Do not struggle alone. If your child is not engaged, if they're not willing to participate, if they're needing more teacher time, reach out and communicate with your child's teacher, with your school administration. Do not be afraid to ask for help or ask for something different or ask for flexibility. This is not working for your child. You need to communicate immediately. With my second grader, who I've already shared through my tears, we've asked for a lot of flexibility. And our school has been very willing to work with us, her teacher, the principal. She's going to do work assigned that's fitting her ability level. She is operating socially and emotionally younger than her grade level, but academically in some cases a year, in some cases three or four years ahead of her class. And so we're making some choices right there on the spot that fits her needs. And we're filling the teacher in on what we're doing and what we're not doing that day, what Zoom calls she is participating in or not participating in. What I'm trying to do here is reduce the stress level for my child to help her feel safe. And any learning that she's willing to do, and by learning, I'm using a definition of learning that may not always fit the academic meaning of learning in the traditional sense. Learning can take many forms. And for those who are homeschoolers or unschoolers, they're way, way, way ahead of me because that's not something I've ventured into in the past with my children. But when you have a child who is motivated from the inside, intrinsically following their own interest, you have a child who is learning. It does not look the same as a child who is taking expectations and curriculum that is being sent to them by a school. So in some cases, we're following my child's interests. When it comes to things like independent reading, that's great. We can 
find books that meet my child's interests and her reading level. And that's not a struggle for her. But in other areas, we're asking for a lot of flexibility and our school is willing to give that to us. And I encourage you to ask your school and your teachers for flexibility. And if your child's school or your child's teacher is not willing to be flexible with you, you may have to make some bold, tough choices. You may need to investigate homeschooling. You may need to investigate alternative learning opportunities for your child. You may need to investigate what it would look like to pod up with other families who are in similar situations. See if that's going to work for your child. By podding up, I mean connecting with another family or two with children in the same class or same school district or maybe just the same neighborhood and agree to be on the same page as far as your compliance to social distancing rules, and then kind of stick to this family or family or two and working together to make it more of kind of a group educational experience, which might be a better fit for your child and their needs. Whatever you do in terms of these bold choices around your child's education, just do not sacrifice your child's emotional needs in the name of education or school expectations. Or you may end up with a child who is unwilling to ever go back to school or one who is going to always associate learning with something that is negative and oppressive or something that is to be avoided constantly. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. My third tip. If you have a child that has learning differences, something like ADHD, something like Asperger's, something like dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, be proactive and advocate early for your child. This is an area that I really failed miserably at last spring, and I deeply regret this, and I'm not doing it again. I have a meeting already set up tomorrow for my middle schooler who has learning differences and needs some updates to his learning plan in light of remote learning some updates to the learning plan that was not needed during regular in-person school. But now that we have remote learning, we need to have some things in place on his learning plan. In some schools, they call it IEP. Some schools, it's called a learning plan. But he needs some updates there that ensure that he's getting his needs met so he does not slip like he did in the spring. Do not wait for your child to slip to ask for these additions to their learning plan. You may have to wait for an official meeting to get an update or an addition to your child's IEP or learning plan. So in the meantime, reach out to your child's teacher and ask for those and ask that those additional accommodations be put in place before it's made official and enforceable. I've already, like I said, I already have a meeting with my child's teacher tomorrow, my child who really, really struggled because of his learning differences last spring. And we have a meeting set up tomorrow where I'm going to advocate for him and what his needs are as I see them and collaborate with the teacher in terms of how we can best meet his needs in light of his learning differences because he is a bright, smart, capable child. But in light of his learning differences, he needs some extra supports there to make sure that he is staying on track and meeting expectations. He's got a lot of teachers and a lot of assignments, and it's challenging to navigate 
those independently with an expectation that really is more applicable to a high school or even a college age child when he is a 13 year old boy with learning differences. So we are bringing those to light. We are asking for accommodations and we are asking again for flexibility and understanding from my child's teachers to make sure that they are able to meet his needs and so he doesn't fall through the cracks and he can keep up with the expectations that are being asked of him during remote learning. Tip four, as far as setting up a learning area for your child, I encourage you to make a schoolwork survival kit where all your child's materials can live. Now, not all people can create a dedicated work area for your children. In my case, we have four kids. We're actually remote learning, not at our own home right now, not at our regular home right now. So we have to have remote learning areas that are flexible because our work areas are also our dinner tables, are also somebody else's bedrooms, are also creative spots. Like my son is currently working in our laundry room. So it needs to be creative and flexible. So making a survival kit where all of your child's materials live, calculators, pencils, rulers, tape, extra paper, scissors, things of that nature can live. I talked about something very similar to this on episode 13 of the 3D Parent Podcast. I call it a homework survival kit. And this homework survival kit was to remove kind of the hassle that can sometimes happen when a child is looking for the materials they need to do homework assignments. Very similar idea. If your child has a space where they have a kit that they can go to with their learning space, especially one that may not be the same every single day, and they know exactly where the materials are they're going to need to learn, it's going to cut back on some of that frustration you as a parent have and they as a child have. If your children are spending their time looking for materials, they may get into shutdown mode before they even might be starting their work. And this is to try and cut down on that. I've included a link in my show notes to how to make what's called a homework survival kit. But it's the same idea because all work is homework right now for most of us, unless your child is already back to school or doing some type of a hybrid model, in which case this could be a helpful tip for homework. Tip five, build in lots of screen-free breaks for your kids. They need movement. They need play. They need nature. They need snacks. They need walks. They need music. They need things that are not in front of a screen. Ideally, after a maximum of 45 minutes of screen usage, if possible, younger kids, it probably should happen more frequently than that. But you need to work with your school and what they're putting out there and build in those screen-free breaks because your child needs it or they're going to go berserk. Their brains are going to get fried. They're going to become dysregulated, moody, and grumpy. Tip six has to do with your child's nutrition needs. As much as I've always found packing school lunches a total drag, and I really advocate for helping your child learn how to pack their own school lunches, you know what I find even more frustrating? The constant cries of hunger and desire for food and snacks coming from my children all day long. Bring back the packing of the school lunches any day. That is way more tolerable than the constant, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry that comes from the children right now. And I know it's not just my house because I'm hearing it constantly from my parent coach clients, from my friends, from posts on social media, et cetera. 
So here are some thoughts on that. As far as things like lunches and meals, make things that can feed your whole family. Something like a frozen pizza, a platter of cold cuts, a large and filling salad or fruit salad, something you can make one of and then put it out, much like you probably do at dinner time, as opposed to individual lunches. That is part of the exhaustion factor for many. You could do the same thing when it comes to snacks. Prep snacks for your kids once or twice a week. They're easy for them to gain access to, where they can help themselves potentially. You don't have to be constantly being the short order cook, making snacks nonstop. If you have more than one child, this is intensified the number of children you have. In my case, four kids, the constant need for food, feeding, snacks. It is intense and it is exhausting. So I'm here to help with these tips. Another idea, similar to my tip that I already mentioned, to train your children to pack their own lunches, empower your kids, empower your kids to prepare their own snacks and lunches. This is part of the exhaustion factor for those of us who are remote learning, being your child's supervising their remote learning while also trying to juggle our jobs and all the craziness that we're having to deal with right now. This is part of that exhaustion factor. So this could be part of the solution for that. So sit down with your kids, brainstorm healthy snacks and lunches with your kids. Put that on a list. Come up with a plan for what that lunch, what that snack might look for. If you need to, with your children together, or if your children are younger and you need to kind of be a little more hands-on with a prep, prep those veggies, those fruits, those snacks, break them up into snack-sized portions ahead of time so they're easy for your kids to find and access. You could buy those plates that have the little different sections and then go into what goes into the sections, similar to their lunch boxes, or just pull out the old lunch boxes that already are broken up into sections. This is very similar, like I said, to the method that I've talked about in my podcast. When I talk about how to kind of cut down on that frustration factor, I'm going to put a link in my show notes as to how to pack a lunch. It's kind of, it includes basically these sections that could easily be adaptive to your children planning and preparing their own lunches every day or a day ahead of time, much like I suggest for the packing a lunch idea. I'm going to include that in my show notes as well. And before I close out this topic of your kid and their nutrition needs and why they are hungry every 15 minutes, my kids appear to need about 20 snacks a day right now. Know that those constant cries for hunger are most of the time bids for connection. Your children aren't truly starving every 15 minutes. Just like you think this is not possible, it's not possible. It's not about hunger. It's at least not about hunger that has to do with food and nutrition needs. This hunger is really about attachment. This hunger is about connection. Kids feel disconnected, being tied to screens all day long, being sitting at tables and desks doing rote work, doing work that really is not what is most age appropriate for the young kids. They need connection with you. So know that sometimes that I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry is really, I need some of you right now. I need connection. It's a red flag. And so meet your child's need for connection. Yeah, maybe give them a snack, but more give them some time. Give them some of your eyes. Maybe sit down and do an assignment with them or take a break and do one of those brain breaks together with your child because that might be the hunger that really needs fulfillment in that moment. Okay, tip seven. This is my last real tip before I leave you with some closing thoughts. Tip seven, remember that you are parent 
first, an assistant teacher second. Do not forget to parent with warmth and encouragement and connection first and foremost. If your relationship is in good shape, shifting into that assistant teacher mode should not be so difficult for your child to accept. If it is, then you might have work to do. Focusing on your relationship with your child, and if that's really problematic, maybe seeking out the services of a parent coach like myself or somebody else in my industry, or perhaps a therapist who can help you and your child get back on track might be warranted. If what's going on here is really about a relationship breakdown, if your own personal mental health or capacity to regulate your own emotions is suffering, as it is for many of us, get yourself help. You cannot parent your child with the intentions of a 3D parent if you're running on empty. So call on support. Reach out to your own village of support, your friends, your support network. We all need to lean on each other right now and bail each other out when we are sinking. So do so. Your children need that from you. And like I said, if you're shifting into that teaching mode and your child is resistant, it may not be about the relationship. It may be about remote learning and the ability for that to work for your child given their own unique needs. So your connection and your attachment with your child, if that's in good shape, you're going to know that something's up with your kid. If you shifting into that assistant teacher mode is not working, it may not be about your relationship. It may be about this mode of learning for your child. So back to my family and some of the choices we've made right now. One of the choices that we've made is a real positive one. We made a honestly about 17, 18 year old dream a reality just a few weeks ago. We figured that with work being remote for both me and my husband and with school being remote for all four of our children, that maybe we should be remote. We have dreamed about owning a vacation property for years. And we decided to pull trigger and buy ourselves a rustic cabin in north central eastern-ish Washington, a small town called Nazama, which is in the heart of the most beautiful wilderness, but it's real remote. It took some real thinking about this dream. It took some of the savings that we had set aside to do a remodel and we shifted it. We shifted focus and we kind of decided that we needed to put this as a higher priority. Working from home has extreme challenges. Our home in the city is very small and not really conducive to a lot of joy. We don't have an outdoor space for our kids and our city is extremely expensive, yet we're very committed to where we live and our community and our school and our church and our teachers at the school and our friends and community. So we don't want to move full time, but we decided to get this little cabin in the woods on a strip of the Metau River. And we closed on it about a week and a half ago. And this is where we've been trying and attempting to do remote school. It comes with some new challenges. Because it's so remote, we're working off of satellite internet. It's not real reliable. And so there's been some challenges with our Wi-Fi network. We've got four kids remote learning. We've got two parents remote working. And so that's been a bit of a challenge and something we're trying to navigate and um, this is an adventure, and there's been some real highs with this choice and some low lows. Today, one of those low lows when nothing would download for our kids, and we all kind of tore our hair out for a little period of time. But this has been really a wonderful adventure and a dream come true, like I said, that's been 18 years in the works for my husband and I. 
And I will tell you this, PE has never been more fun because we've been exploring rivers and floating on our little stripper of the Maptow River. We've been going on hikes and my youngest two kids, their favorite PE activity right now is rock throwing. So that is working with our remote learning right now. So in closing, I want to leave you with some reassurance and also a whole lot of permission. First, the reassurance part. I want to let you know that the way in which your child is performing right now as a student, remote learning does not define them as a student. Any more than the way in which you're performing right now as a parent is defining you as a parent. We're living through a collective trauma right now. So let's not lose sight of that. Let's give ourselves and our children a lot more grace and a lot less judgment. That's on ourselves and our children. And the permission part, in case any of you need it, you have permission to put the needs of your child's emotional well-being ahead of their so-called need to learn in the traditional sense of the word. The reality check is if your child is in a state of alarm, there's no learning happening anyways. So if needed and if it's warranted, you need to make bold and brave choices when it comes to your child's education. Find out what flexibility is there for your child at your current educational setting and take it. And know that your child right now needs you to see them more clearly than ever. And seeing them might lead you to find some answers to what is required to move through this period of stress and uncertainty right now, particularly where remote learning comes into play. You've got this. We've got this. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.